there's a, uh, a desire to honor and to praise. There's just something in us as human beings that we want to honor those things which are honorable. And we want to praise those things which are praiseworthy. And, and Remembrance Sunday is a day which reflects that desire in us. There's also, this is a bit of a, a slightly more difficult one to untangle. I think Remembrance Sunday also shows that in the human heart is a desire to be found, to be shown to be in the right. And um, even in terms of the kind of uh, quite significant pressure there is now to wear a, prop, a poppy, it's, it's, it's kind of, a, you can always be justified by poppy wearing. That if you're not wearing a poppy, that somehow you're, that's disrespectful and, and to be looked down on. I think for all, the, all the, the arguments there were about whether the England and Scotland footballers should wear a poppy on their on their armbands. It's kind of you have to wear a poppy in order to be shown to be in the right. If you wear a poppy, it shows that you're associating with the things that you're meant to associate with. And and again, that reflects something I think which is just hardwired in the human heart. A- and actually, I think all these things t- taken together, what they actually show us is that we human beings know that we need saving. We know that we need rescuing. We know that we've got some enemies, and we need rescuing from them. And so. Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 4, are just amazing verses for a day like Remembrance Sunday. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. What great verses for Remembrance Sunday. Also, absolutely perfect verses for this week. If with events this week you felt your knees a little bit feeble, your hands a bit weak because of stuff going on in politics around the world, Turn to Isaiah and see what God says through the prophet Isaiah. These are wonderful verses for us. Strengthen the weak knees. And what we're doing as we uh, work through the book of Isaiah is we're seeing how Jesus is our king and our servant and our conqueror. Jesus is the one who is king. He, he is the one who doesn't just rule for four years or eight years or 30 or 40 years. Jesus rules eternally and his rule is full of majesty and he reigns perfectly. But Jesus is also a servant. He's the one who doesn't exercise power in the way that we might expect. He doesn't, he doesn't come arrogantly. Jesus doesn't come arrogantly. He came with humility. He came as a servant. Jesus was the one who wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. But Jesus is the conqueror. Jesus is the one who will defeat all our enemies. He is the one who saves his people. He's the one who rescues now, today we're looking at chapters 28 to 35 of Isaiah. This is the, the middle talk in a series of seven talks about Isaiah. And uh, it's also the middle of the book of Isaiah. And these, in these chapters, we, we get a picture painted of how the world will look when God makes all things new. And it is a beautiful picture. If you're not there yet and you've got a Bible near you, grab, grab it and open up to page 414. And we'll carry on reading from uh, the verses that we just, I've, just, I've just read, read the rest of Isaiah 35. And see this beautiful picture that uh, God paints of how the world is going to be. It says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. 
The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Wow, it's beautiful, isn't it? This amazing picture of what says he, God says he is going to do. This is a future in which sickness and disability are unraveled, where the lame man leaps for joy and the blind person can see again. It's a future in which what is barren will be replaced with what is fruitful. It's a future in which all, all corruption and folly and nonsense will be banished and done away with. It's a future in which sorrow will flee and joy will be permanent. This is actually the place that human beings are looking for. This is, this is what our hearts seek. This is, this is home that's being described in these verses. This is, this is what home looks like. It's a place which is fruitful rather than barren. It's a place which is joyful rather than sorrowful. It's a place of physical health rather than illness. It's a place of wisdom rather than folly. It's a place that God makes for us. Beautiful picture. But of course, in these chapters in Isaiah, there's also a challenge given to us. And the challenge is this. Will God's people trust in his plan? In the world as it is, in our lives as they are, will we trust God's plan? When now we face disability or sickness, will we trust God? When life feels more barren than fruitful, will we trust God? When corruption and folly is all around us, will we trust God? And when life just makes us sorrow and sigh, will we trust God? We're looking for a home, but life at the moment is like this. Stuff happens. Sorrows come. And when those things happen, who will we trust? Will we trust the plans of God, or will we trust the schemes of man? And this, this question of trust is, is huge. It's absolutely massive. The, the first thing is that we just find it difficult to trust anyone. In our society, we find it difficult to trust anyone with we're used to being let down. We're used to promises being made which aren't kept. And we're a cynical people, a cynical culture. Our media is cynical and our entertainment is cynical. And we are cynical about other people. And we're cynical especially about those who claim to be in control in some way. And, and we're cynical about the motives of others. We, just, we find it difficult to trust. And so when something matters, when something of value has to be sorted out. We just don't, we can't do it on trust. We have to do it by contracts and by lawyers and by legal stuff because we just find it hard to trust people. And so this is a big issue for us. This question of who will we trust is actually, will we trust at all? It's also difficult for us because the reality is that when life throws up these things, which are difficult for us, we tend to go looking for the quick fix. We reach for the thing which seems to offer us a quick fix. And it's very easy to put our trust somewhere else than God because often the fix looks quicker elsewhere. And so when life is full of sighing and sorrow, we can look for a quick fix in things which are easy to get hold of. We, we look for the quick fix in retail therapy, or we look for the quick fix in drink or in 
food or in porn or in TV or in social media. We look for the quick fix. We look for the thing which we think will help us. We look for the thing which we think will comfort us, the thing which doesn't just kind of answer some physical needs we might have, but which we think in some way will save us. Life is full of sorrow and sighing, so I'm going to grab for this thing because it seems to offer me some comfort right away. And the situation that uh, the prophet Isaiah is addressing, the situation of the people of Israel, is that uh, their kind of quick fix was very often the, the nation of Egypt. And uh, the nation of Egypt looms large in the story of the people of Israel because Egypt was the dominant power for thousands of years in, 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 in the region of the Middle East. It had extraordinary longevity to the Egyptian rule. And, and they were the biggest dog on the block. I mean, throughout my whole life, someone said, who's the most powerful person in, in, the, in the world? The answer has always been the President of the United States. And uh, for many people, that's the thing that's causing us concern at the moment. Who's the most powerful person in the world? It's the President of the United States. If you'd ask that question in the ancient world, who's, who's the most powerful person in the world? Who's king? The answer is Pharaoh. It's Pharaoh. It's always been Pharaoh. It's been Pharaoh for centuries. It's always been Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the biggest dog on the block. Pharaoh is the most powerful person. Egypt is top nation. And so for the people of Israel, often they would kind of look to Egypt for the quick fix because that's where the power seemed to be. And of course, the story of Israel is, is so defined by the, by, uh, by the nation of Egypt. And there's Joseph. That's where the story begins. Joseph, one of the children of Jacob, who is betrayed by his, 11, well, by his 10 brothers, not by his youngest one, Benjamin, betrayed by his 10 older brothers, and he's sold into slavery in Egypt. And then, because of God's grace on him, he is promoted into positions of, of power. When a famine comes in Egypt, suddenly Joseph emerges as the man who's the savior in that situation. He knows what to do. He's the man with the plan. He's the one who knows how to help Egypt out of a time of famine. And then it's not just Egypt that's affected by the famine. It's the whole region. And so Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt looking for food, looking for help. And because of Joseph, they're rescued. And the whole of his family, his extended family, ends up moving to Egypt, and they are esteemed and held in honor by Pharaoh because of Joseph. But very quickly, the story turns, and rather than being an honored people living in Egypt, they become an oppressed people enslaved in Egypt. And for 400 years, Joseph and his family are slaves in Egypt. And then God sends another savior. He sends Moses. Moses, the great savior, who leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, leads them out of slavery, sees the sea part and the miraculous provision from God. There are signs and wonders which happen, incredible miracles, signs of God's power. There's phenomenal divine intervention to provide for the people, miraculous food and miraculous drink to sustain them in their journey. And God gives them his law by which they're to be distinct and set apart from all other nations in the world and to live in a way which shows what God is like. And through this, through the story of the Exodus, through miracle and provision and God's commands, what is shown is that Pharaoh isn't really king. Pharaoh's humbled. Who's, who's, who's king around here? Well, who's king is the king of the people of Israel. God is king. That's what's shown. And so the story of the Exodus becomes the story, really. It's the big Bible.
Bible story. It's a story that God rescues his people. He brings them out of slavery. He provides for them. He overcomes their enemies, and he brings them into a good land. He brings them into Isaiah 35. Israel had been rescued from Egypt, but the weird thing was that often, in times of trouble, the people of Israel looked back to Egypt. And so throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, again and again, we get it throughout Isaiah, we get this warning. God says, don't, don't go back to, why are you looking to Egypt? Don't go back there. Don't go back to Egypt. You've been delivered from there. It's not the answer. But the pull of Egypt is strong. It's also destructive. And we might think, well, why, why would the people of Israel, why would they be tempted to look to Egypt for help? That God has rescued them. God's done the miracle of the Exodus. God's established them in their own land. Why would they ever be tempted to kind of look to Egypt for help? They've been slaves. Why would you go back to the place where you've been a slave? Why would you want to have anything to do with it? The thing is that you can take the man out of slavery, but not necessarily the slave out of the man. It's a bit like if you, you might not like gardening, it's an illustration that helps me. If you buy a potted plant to plant in your garden, you need to check the roots because if the plant has been in the pot too long, the roots will have all circled in the pot and will be, it'll be pot bound. And the thing is you can take a plant which is pot bound and you can stick it into a piece of good ground in your garden. You think the plant's going to be fine. It's got all the soil it now needs. It's got all the space it needs. It's got everything it needs, but that plant will never stop growing in the shape of the pot. It's held slave by the shape of the pot. And if you want it to actually survive, you have to do some violence. You have to get into it, and you have to kind of tear the roots apart and stretch them out and break the shape of the pot, because otherwise it will just stay in the pot, and most likely it will die, even though it's planted in the good ground. And you know, I'm talking now to those of us who would claim to be Christians. Those of us who know we've been rescued by God, tragically at times we can act like that pot-bound plant. We can be like the people of Israel. We look back to Egypt. And when we want the quick fix, when life is full of its sorrow and sighings, we go back to what we know rather than looking to God. And Isaiah warns the people of Israel about this. He says, uh, 31 verse 1, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Why do the Israelites look to Egypt? Why do we look to Egypt, whatever Egypt looks like in our lives? We look to Egypt because Egypt looks strong. And if you need the quick fix, you reach for the thing which looks strongest and most readily available. If you break something, you reach for the super glue, not the frit stick. If you've got a cracking headache, you go for the anodin extra, not the junior disprint. You go for the thing which looks like it's going to fix your problem quickest and most easily. And what we reach for reveals what we trust. Do we trust the plans of God? Or do we rely on the schemes of man? And the thing was that for the people of Israel, so often Egypt looked like the answer. Egypt looked strong. They were the ones with all the horses and the chariots. You know, it's a bit like someone who's abused by their, by their partner. 
and escapes, but then keeps going back. And you know that tragic cycle that happens. People keep going back to their abuser. And you think it's going to be all right, I'm going to be rescued this way. No, you're not rescued that way. You're not rescued that way. There's no real rescue. Isaiah says this, the Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. If you keep going back to Egypt for rescue, if you go back to the horses and the chariots of Egypt, what you're going to find is actually the whole thing crumbles in the end. There isn't rescue there. So who do we trust? going to trust the schemes of man or the plans of God? You know, this is, a, this is a really good question to ask in Remembrance Sunday, on a day when everybody pauses and thinks, a day when people think particularly about military strength and power. Who are we actually going to trust in? Are we going to trust in, the, in the, who looks like the biggest dog on the block, the guy with the most soldiers on the ground and the most nuclear Weapons in the shed. Who are we going to trust? Who are we going to trust? It's a good question to ask this week with all that's been happening politically. Who are we going to trust? You know, those who are trusting in Trump will be disappointed because every political career ends in failure. You trust in Trump, Trump's not going to be able to do everything he said he'll do. If you're putting all your hopes in him, you're going to be disappointed. But also, if you think the world has ended because Trump has been elected as president, that also displays that you're trusting in the wrong things. If we trust in the schemes of man, if we trust in Egypt, whatever Egypt might look like for you, you're going to be disappointed. There's only one who is trustworthy. It says this, verse 16 of chapter 28. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. It's a great verse for today. It's a great verse this week. The one who trusts in this cornerstone will never be stricken with panic. A cornerstone, a foundation is being set in place. And this foundation, this cornerstone is has been tested and found trustworthy, found reliable. But also we are going to be judged we're going to be tested ourselves by how we respond to this cornerstone, this foundation. The, the cornerstone is proved reliable. That's been tested. We're now tested by how we respond, how we build on that foundation. You know, if, if, if the foundation is wrong, you can never build a sound structure. If the foundation is wonky and unstable and collapsing, you're never going to build a sound structure. And if we look for a foundation, which is going back to Egypt, you try and build your life on the quick fix. What you find in the end, it's not stable. It can't stand. It won't bear the weight of life. It just can't. There is a foundation. There is a cornerstone who's reliable, tested, unshakable, unmovable. Build on that. If there is that cornerstone, you know it's crazy to build somewhere else. If there's a, if there's a sure foundation, you want to build a structure, why would you then start building somewhere else? Why would you start building on the loose soil? Why would you do that? You would want to build on what is sure, what is reliable, what is certain, what is trustworthy. Build on the foundation. The foundation stone has been tested and will be tested by it. So the question is, what are you going to build on? And... How are you going to build and who will you trust? What can you rely on so that you don't panic? And 
And if that isn't Egypt, what is it? What is the foundation? In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we're told very clearly what this cornerstone Isaiah speaks of is, or rather, who it is. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles Peter and John are kind of on, on trial before the religious authorities in Jerusalem, and Peter speaks up and says this, Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the stone. He is the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. Now, Peter was talking to the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they were doing what their ancestors had so often done. They were trusting in the schemes of man rather than the plans of God. They didn't like the look of this cornerstone. They didn't like the look of this Jesus. And they were trying to build elsewhere. They were going back to Egypt, in effect. And what they were building wouldn't pass the test. It was bound to fail and to fall. And this is the claim. This is the claim. This is the claim. This is what Isaiah saw. And this is what the apostles testified to. And this is what we believe. That Jesus is the rock. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He is the trustworthy rock. The home we seek, that beautiful picture painted Isaiah 35, what we're after can only be found through him. It can only be found in and through Christ. You know, at those times when our, our knees feel feeble, where are we going to go? Are we going to look to Egypt or are we going to look to Jesus? On Remembrance Sunday, who are we going to look to? Who are we going to build on? With Donald Trump as president-elect, where's our trust going to be? What Isaiah tells us is that Jesus is our king. Not just king for four years or eight years. Not even for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years. Jesus is king forever, and he's the one who rules perfectly. Jesus is the servant. Jesus didn't come arrogantly. He didn't come on the campaign trail. He didn't spend billions of dollars. He didn't produce attacker ads against his opponents. He didn't come with a big campaign bus and speak about the kind of man he was. No, he demonstrated who he was by taking a towel, wrapping it around his waist, and washing his disciples' feet. That Jesus is the conqueror. Jesus is the one who has defeated our enemies. Jesus is the one who has killed our ultimate enemy, sin and death, by nailing it with himself to the cross. Jesus is the one who has conquered so that his people might know an exodus, so that we might come out of Egypt and into freedom, that we might cross the sea and come out of death into life. He is king and servant and conqueror. Hallelujah. Now this question of our trust, whether we trust him as our foundation stone, as our cornerstone, as our king, our servant, our conqueror, often it's the practical stuff. It's the quick fix we look for when life is full of sighing and sorrow. Often it's in the very practical reality of when it comes to our money. Uh, one really important story in the news this week, which got completely buried because of what was happening in the States, is uh, what's happened in India over the past week. Did you see this one? That uh, the Indian government decided to withdraw all the 501,000 rupee notes out of circulation. In India, they don't 
tend to use debit and credit cards and they use cash and the 500 and 1,000 rupee notes, the most common notes worth about 6 quid and 12 quid. That's what everybody uses to survive. And they said they were going to withdraw all of them because there are so many forged ones in circulation and there are so many people who've stashed up money corruptly. And so to cleanse the system, they needed to get rid of all the old banknotes and bring in new banknotes. The plan is brilliant, but India is a nation of a billion people and they all have cash. And of course, the picture has been one of complete chaos with millions of Indians queuing up at banks trying to get rid of their old banknotes and get new ones. And it really spoke to me about, about this question of trust. I mean, we do this. It's tenner out my wallet. Seeing the, the rare light of day. You know, this we trust in this, but it's actually worth nothing. Well, maybe pennies. I don't know what the actual value is, how much the cost of printing these things, but it's essentially worth nothing. The only reason it's worth anything is it's what it represents. It's because it says on here, I promise to pay the bearer on demand a sum of £10. This isn't actually £10. This represents £10. And in that sense, it's totally reliant on the whim of the government. If our government decides to do what the Indian government has done and say, as of midnight tonight, this £10 note is worth nothing, we'd all be stuffed. There's nothing of intrinsic value in this. It's representative. In the end, it's all dependent on what the government does. And we can put our trust in this stuff. We put our trust in things which we think, this is real, this is tangible, this is reliable, but actually it, has, it will crumble and will fall. It has no intrinsic value. And when we come to Christ, we come to the one who's unshakable. We come to the one who is the cornerstone. He is the rock. He is the sure foundation. He's the one who does not budge. He is the ultimate gold standard. We come to him and we find one. We don't come to just for a quick fix. We come and build our lives upon because he is trustworthy. Today and next Sunday we're having a, a, a gift day. We do this once a term. And uh, this year that we said we wanted to raise an additional £50,000 over and above our normal giving, uh, particularly to help pay for stuff we're doing in our buildings. We've had two of these days so far, and uh, so in that time given £35,000. We we're aiming for 50, so we've got 15000 to hit uh, this gift day, which is, uh, talk about one gift day, it's actually over two Sundays. And uh, so this Sunday and next Sunday, aiming for £15,000, and it would be great to punt through that. Uh, this time, in terms of what we're giving for, we want to we want to pay next year's mortgage on this building. So the mortgage on this building is about £14,000 for, for the year. So if we can pay the next 12 months mortgage for this gift day, that frees up the equivalent amount of money for other things, which would be great. If we punch through it and give more than the 15 grand, then the extra stuff will just go into the building fund we have to help pay for material fabric of things that we're doing here in Alder Road. We're also going to be tithing. We give away 10% of what we give. And uh, this time we're going to be giving to Life Church in Istanbul, Yashin Church in Istanbul. Uh, some of you will know Mark and Ruth, who've been with us a couple of times. A picture of Mark and Ruth with Grace. Uh, we were out in Istanbul in May with the church. That's David and Anna, another of the older couples of the church there, and a picture of the, of the front door of their church building. Uh, a remarkable church, started seven years ago. A couple of weeks back, they had four baptisms, baptized four new Turkish believers. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, Mark, three years ago, he's a, he's a tech guy. Three years ago, he set up a website where he has e-books, electronic books, 
and he's got a hundred Christian books in the Turkish language. And over the past three years, there have been 300,000 downloads of those Christian books in the Turkish language. And that's in a nation where there, we think there are only between five and 10,000 Christians. So an absolutely phenomenal uh, impact uh, he and that church are having. So we want to bless them. And if we give 15,000, they'll get 1,500. If we give 20,000, they'll get 2,000. That's how it works. That's how tithing works. So we're giving. We're going to pay off the uh, next year's mortgage, extras to the building funds, a tenth of it to Mark and Ruth. Let's finish by looking at these verses. Isaiah 30, verse 15. God says this. For thus says said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength, but you were unwilling, and you said, no, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away. God will say to us that only as we trust in him that our hope can be sure. If we trust in Egypt, it's going to be a disaster. What God says to us is, don't make an alliance with Egypt, but live in reliance on God. Don't make an alliance with Egypt, but live in reliance on God. If you think that you're going to get safe by jumping on those Egyptian horses and getting far away, what we find in the end is that life overtakes us and overwhelms us. It does. It has to. Egypt can't save us. The way that we find help, the way that we find life, the way that we find hope is in returning and rest, in quietness and in trust, we find our strength. You know, this has been an incredibly noisy week at the, incredi- at the end of an incredibly noisy year. Our ears have been filled, have been rattling the whole time with all the craziness of the world and all the things which we didn't expect, we didn't predict, but have come to pass anyhow. There's a lot of noise, there's a lot of disquiet, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of restlessness in the world. And what God would say to us is to turn to him, trust him, and find his peace and find his strength. Not trust in the schemes of man, but to trust do that? Let's pray. Hey Jesus, I pray for us here. I pray for us, those of us who are part of this church, Gateway Church here, 502 Ashley Road, that Lord, we would be those who trust you. But I pray for myself. I know, Jesus, how easy it is to reach for quick fix when life feels tough, when there's sighing and sorrow. It's easy to reach for your quick fix. But Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would look to you, we'd keep turning to you. I pray in a noisy world that we would find peace in you, trust in you, that we would demonstrate together as your people in this place what it is to build on the foundation which is sure and certain. We wouldn't, we wouldn't try and build somewhere else. We wouldn't look to Egypt. We wouldn't stay like that pot-bound plant, but we would come to you and find in you our rescue and our life. Lord, I pray for those here this morning who are not yet in that place, who haven't yet found you as, as saviour. 
Lord, I pray this morning you might reveal yourself as king, as servant, as king to our youth. Jesus, um, I pray for an exodus this morning, and that there'll be some who are brought out of Egypt into the promised land of Christ. We look for that amongst us week by week from Jesus. Lord, thank you for those four Turkish believers who demonstrated that the other week there in that church in Istanbul, getting baptized, demonstrating they're crossing from Egypt into life, from trusting in those old things to finding hope in you. Lord, I pray that we keep them safe and secure in their trust in you. Let them not look back to the to the old ways, but keep following you, I pray, King Jesus. And I pray for us as we give, I pray as we have given generously this year, and as we look to give again this Sunday, next Sunday, that, Lord God, we again, our trust might be in you. We wouldn't hold on to what is flimsy and ephemeral, but we trust you, and that would liberate us to be generous, just as you've been generous to us. I ask these things in your name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't we uh, stand together with going to sing Cornerstone, which is an appropriate song as we're thinking about Christ, our cornerstone. And uh, as we do that, we're going to come and take bread and wine and communion.